0: Good morning, good morning, welcome, man, this is a full, full room, and uh, I'm glad you're here, you're probably here for a barbecue, but I got your attention for the next little bit, so that's good, I won't hopefully keep you too long until they start pushing in the fumes of the burgers in the room, then, then I'm in trouble. But uh, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we're going to have uh, quite the discussion this morning because we started a conversation last week, a series on, uh, called Burnt, and it's about dealing with hurt. Dealing with hurt. Um, some of us, we, we say church hurt, um, but churches are building, like, can't hurt people hurt. hurt people hurt people. And we're talking about how we deal with hurt that we have and how we process the hurt that we carry with us. And um, this morning I get to have the very easy and light topic of talking about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. So uh, we get to get into that this morning, right? You didn't know what you were up, up for. But uh, it, the, the truth is, is that many of us, um, we all carry around hurt in different ways. Uh, lots of different kinds of hurt. And uh, unforgiveness is a kind of hurt and pain that we carry. We all have bags that, that are on our backs. And we carry them into relationships uh, into marriages, uh, into church. Um, these things that we've experienced that begin to weigh us down and, and cause um, friction and uneasiness in our lives. And I've always wrestled with the, this tension that Jesus offers, um, this teaching that, that he gives in Matthew chapter 11. Um, he talks about it in this way. He says, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Okay? He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. The burden I give you is light. And I've wrestled with this concept of like, carrying the burden of Jesus and that being light. And and there have been times in my life I've struggled with that because I've thought, I don't know if I believe that because life is tough and i got weights that I'm carrying around me. And one of the issues that we're going to look at, again, unforgiveness, is that's that's one of those things that we carry around us, that hurt and the pain. And what I believe that Jesus is getting at when he talks like this is he's making an offer to us. He's making the offer that if you follow my example and my way and bring forgiveness into your life and learn to forgive, all of a sudden we begin to unpack this bag that we carry and all the things that are inside of it. Maybe this morning we'll pull out a little unforgiveness towards that person. Pull out a little bit more. Unforgiveness, that's a lot that I'm carrying there for that person. Maybe a little bit more. I let those things go. And now all of a sudden, this burden is a little lighter because I don't have to carry it around. You see, unforgiveness, oftentimes we think of it in terms of the other. This person did this, they hurt me in this way. And we make it about them, but I want to challenge us to think for a moment that actually harboring unforgiveness is more about us. And that's not to take lightly what you go through in life. It's an easy thing to talk about. Um, You see, one of the challenges as a teacher in rooms where like this and we're talking about something that's that's so deep and so emotional and so painful for some and and so diverse and different based off of the individual the feeling like I the, the challenge that I have to say everything to say anything It's a challenge I have. That I have to cover every aspect and every different variable that's involved in unforgiveness for me to, you know, uh, be able to cover this well. And and that's a challenge because inevitably there's going to be someone that says, Joe, you don't know my situation. Well, I'm struggling with what you said because this is what I'm dealing with. And it's hard for me because I can't cover everything because I don't know you. And I know that the, the things that have happened to you are real and they're different and they're difficult. And so we don't take this lightly, but it is about us. It's like that old adage you may have heard before in the past that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the unper- other person to die. That's what unforgiveness does to us. Right? It's like we drink poison, and we're waiting for the other person to die. It's actually affecting me more than it is someone else. The unforgiveness that I harbor in my heart, that burden and that weight that I carry is weighing me down, not the other person. And this is difficult to say because I don't want to make light of what you've gone through. And I'm not up here saying that this is just something you should just passively ignore or just get over. Like, I know it's more difficult and more nuanced than that. And so I want to work through this, this morning, and hopefully by the end of it, we have something we can walk out of the room with to take a next step in dealing with the unforgiveness that we carry within us. Hopefully this morning we can lighten the load just a little bit with unforgiveness. Now I could look in the Bible and this is you know one things that you do you find oh where's all the Bible verses that talk about um, you know forgiveness and all those things and I'm not going to do that this morning because what would happen is we'd be here all day if you were to summarize the most important teachings of Jesus the teaching on forgiveness would has to be top three right has to be top three Jesus is is teaching and instruction on learning to forgive and the the necessity to have forgiveness, um, top three for Jesus. So I could spend all day just giving verse and verse and verse, um, but the the issue is is that unforgiveness I don't think is about head knowledge. I think it's about our emotions, what's going on in our hearts. And so I'm not going to just spend time going over verses because I think we know that, but I will hone in in a couple areas. The first area I want to look at is Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Now um, Matthew at this point, he's, he's telling us how Jesus is instruct, instructing his disciples and they ask him, well how should we pray? How should we pray? And he says pray like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a very simple prayer, but far uh, too much for me to cover all the, the components of it. You have two halves that mirror much like the greatest commandment, love God, love others. The first half is about our aim towards God and what we believe about God and what we believe he's going to do here on this earth. And the second is about others. Notice that the language here isn't give me, me today, my daily bread, right? It's, It's give us. It's all us language. It's community language. It's about God, it's about others, it's about loving God, it's about loving others. what so this prayer is at. Now, the most difficult part and the most challenging part of this prayer is that forgiveness part. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we were to pull that out of the prayer, the prayer would be a breeze. Right? That'd be easy. It's like, yeah, I could pray, God. We glorify you. Uh, we pray that your kingdom and your will be active in the world today. God, help us with our daily needs. I need some things to be taken care of. And God, please help me not to, to be led into temptation, God. But be with me as I walk through the challenges of my life. We could easily skip over the forgiveness part. And what's interesting is I'm wondering, I'm wondering if for Jesus, he knew that this would be a challenge. It would have been challenging for the audience to hear this. And so he leans into it. I love that. I kind of like that about Jesus. Like that's kind of like my tendencies. And when I know something gets uncomfortable, I like to kind of lean into that a little bit. And like make it even more uncomfortable sometimes. But um, that's my issue. Um, But Jesus, I think, does that. I think he leans into this. Because the very next verse, the very next verse, it's almost like he goes, I don't think you understood what I just said let me unpack it for you if you forgive those who sin against you your heavenly father will forgive you cool all right but if you refuse to forgive others your father will not forgive you your sins all right we don't hear that very much in church do we when was the last time you were praying, God forgive me, I'm, you know, whatever you're dealing with, God forgive me, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, that's right. I've been harboring unforgiveness. towards. I better go ask for forgiveness because I know God's not going to forgive me. It's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. Tough pill, tough pill to swallow. And this is where we get to the moment where we go, but Joe, yeah, but... This, Joe, you don't know my scenario. You don't know what happened. But this, what I went through, was serious and it was difficult and it was tough. And I would go, yeah, it, it probably is, It most likely is. But Joe, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, probably is, probably is. But it was complicated for the first hearers of this as well. They most definitely would have struggled with it, undoubtedly. Why Jesus? leans into it a little bit. We can't make the mistake. We can't make the mistake of thinking that our problems are for, far worse than theirs. As if in our modern day, we have more complicated issues than, than, than what they dealt with back then. Because it's simply not true. Not true. I want to walk through this idea of what does it look like in the real emotional, situational context about how to live this out, because I think those in the New Testament had to wrestle with this. It was very real to them. And I wanted to do that, to unpack this, to to make it meaningful for us, for us to see what's involved here. Uh, I want to look at a letter that was uh, written to a slave owner. And this letter is asking the slave owner to take the runaway slave back and forgive him. And by the way, this is in your New Testament. It's called the letter to Philemon. This letter was written by Paul while he was in prison. A person, uh, a slave, had come into Paul's situational surroundings. And uh, some, some point became a Christian during his experience with Paul. And um, comes to light that um, he had done something. He had run away. Uh, from uh, Philemon, who the letter is written to, and Paul is encouraging him to go back and for Philemon to forgive him. This is an actual letter in your New Testament. It's a small letter, often overlooked, roughly 26 verses long, and uh, we often overlook this and maybe not understand what's happening here. And so this morning I want to unpack that letter, but before I do, I have to wrestle with the concept of slavery in the Bible because many of you are, wait a minute, Joe. We have a letter telling a slave owner to take back the runaway slave. Shouldn't the Bible be just freeing the slave? Okay. So we need to sit in that for a second and understand what's happening. So I want to unpack a little bit this morning. I'm not going to take long doing it. What slavery is in the Bible and in the ancient world. When thinking about slavery or coming across verses in the Bible that deal with it, we need to consider a few things. Number one, God condemns slave trading. God condemns it. Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, and again in the New Testament, First Timothy 1, 9 through 10. You can take those that's in your notes. You can uh, look them up when you get home. Undoubtedly, God, undisputably, God condemns slave trading. You see, God didn't create the institution of slavery, nor did he ever command or direct people to have slaves. What we see in the Bible is God giving instruction to regulate a pre-existing way of life that was pervasive at the time. Okay, so we gotta, we gotta sit in this. It's different than what we have today, but undoubtedly, God condemns it. Number two, slavery in the ancient world is not the same As the transatlantic slave trade that we associate in the Americas and the Civil War and these things that here in in our context are very emotional and very raw and very real. Slavery in the ancient world was not the same as what that was. Historically, it wasn't. That type of slavery is evil. It's evil. And although forms of it did exist, in the ancient world, okay? Those things happened, which is why God condemns slave trading. It was something that did happen. It was not the predominant form of slavery in the ancient world. The most common form of slavery is what you would call a bond servant. The most common form of slavery you would see in the ancient world is a bond servant. Um, the world is not like our world, Um, We have things like, you know, when uh, in the ancient world you lose your job or something happened to you physically and you couldn't work anymore, the government did not pay for you to survive. Okay? Welfare was not a thing. There was no government institution to take care of you if you got hurt. If uh, you lost your home, if there was no insurance that would cover the things that you had to take care of you. These things didn't exist. We take them for granted in our modern context, and it's foreign for us to think of what it would have been like for them, but those things didn't exist. And so when people would fall under hard times, they would often sell themselves for employment, to to get a leg up, to get through, to spare themselves from destitution. They would sell themselves. Okay, This was common. This was common. Historians say that roughly 30% of the population in the ancient world were slaves or bondservants. Roughly 30%. It was common for people to sell themselves into slavery as it represented a form of employment and was preferable to destitution. In fact, often was the case that you would have a politician who was a bondservant or a slave you would have business owners that were bond servants or slaves. You would, you, it, was, it wasn't this lower class, always this lower class situation. People would sell themselves into slavery and then work their way up. Work their way up and have very successful lives. Slavery in the ancient world is nothing like the slavery we think of when I say the word today. It was nothing like it. So, we have to unpack that. This is no way an exhaustive list, and if you're still struggling with this concept, please come talk to me, because there's a lot more I could spend time in and get deeper into, okay? But but we have to understand that that this this topic of slavery and having a letter written to a slave owner is, is more nuanced than we often think, okay? It's not the same as today. Sometimes in in many ways the question becomes, but Joe, why wouldn't God just condemn it and get rid of it altogether? Okay, And these are questions we ask God sometimes. God, why don't you stop the suffering and pain in the world? God, why don't you do these things that I think you ought to do? Okay, Um, And it's difficult to wrestle with these things, but the thing we need to understand is that God always works through history and culture through people to bring about his kingdom in new and unique ways. In regards to Paul and why he doesn't outright condone slavery, we have to let go of the categories that we understand today and put ourselves in their shoes and what they were dealing with. F.F. Bruce says this about the epistle of Philemon and Paul. He says, Philemon brings us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. The beauty of the letter of Philemon is that we get beginning the movements of what it looks like to be human, which would eventually lead to an eradication of slavery as an institution. Paul was certainly no William Wilberforce, but without Paul... The ethic that drove William Wilberforce and his friends may not have existed. It was because of the teachings of Paul and those in the New Testament, the ethics of Christianity, that we see a movement and a trajectory towards the end of slavery because of the value of the human. All that to say, when we approach a letter like the one we're about to read, We have to keep these ideas and concepts in the backs of our mind. We can't impose our modern viewpoints onto an ancient text and expect to understand it or hear their voice. Okay, you with me? All right, Philemon, we're going to read it this morning. Here's what we're going to do. I don't have it up on the screen most of the time. Like you know, we put Bible verses on the screen. It's cool. I don't want to do that. I want you to hear. I want you to listen to this letter. And just hear it. Hear Paul and what he's trying to communicate here. Okay? I think you're going to enjoy this. So just sit back and listen to it as I read it to you. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother, Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister, Aphia, and to our fellow soldier, Archippus and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of your love, I prefer to simply ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man now, and also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Amnesius. I, because his, I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Amnesius hasn't been much use to you while in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news and he would have been he would have helped me on your behalf but I didn't want to do anything without your consent I wanted you to help because you were willing not because you were forced It seems you lost Amnesius for a little while so that you could have him back forever He is no longer a slave to you he is more than a slave Free is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now, he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. All right, Paul. (laughs) Yes, my brother, please do me this favor. For the Lord's sake, give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write you this letter that um, that you will do what I ask, and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So does Mark, Aristocras, Demas, and Luke, my co workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Can we just take a moment and appreciate this letter? Like, do you realize you have a letter, a personal letter to an individual some 2,000 years ago? Like, we're reading someone else's mail, right? Can you imagine you writing a letter to your friend talking about what's going on, and 2,000 years later in an auditorium like this, people are up there reading your letter to the crowd, looking to gain instruction and insight and wisdom from it? Like, that's what we're doing. This is beautiful. It's so, so amazing. What's interesting is that Paul's in Rome at this time. He's in prison. And during his prison time, he wrote four letters. Four letters. He wrote uh, Ephesians to the church in Ephesus, the church community. He wrote Philippians to the church in Philippi, and he wrote Colossians, the church in Coloss. He wrote three other letters in addition to Philemon, and those three letters are all to the church community, which meant that those letters would have been sent to the house churches in that city, and they would have shared and copied and, and passed along this letter, and they would have read it, and they would have gotten instruction. And then Paul goes, I need to write a personal letter to one individual to deal with some conflict and unforgiveness. That's crazy. We have that right here. I, for me, like, I get all like giddy. That's so cool. It's so cool that we have something like that and that it's been preserved and that we can learn. What does God want to, for us to learn from something like this? Did Paul know that this personal letter he was writing was going to be read 2,000 years later? No. There's no way Paul was like, oh, I can't wait till in 2021. Real life reads this thing, right? No! We have a real serious situation that Paul wants to fix. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay, I'm going to stop nerding now on that. I love it. There's a few things at play in this letter that I want to draw out. There's a lot we can take from this, but there's three things I want us to see in regards to the conversation of unforgiveness, why I think this is important, okay? First off, understand this was a serious request from Paul to Philemon. This was serious. Paul saying you need to forgive them and take them back was not something to be taken lightly, Okay? And I want you to know, as we talk about learning to forgive, I too am saying this is something we don't take lightly because I know that the pain and hurt we experience is real. It's real. We don't take this lightly, and I don't think Paul did either. Did you know under Roman law, once Onesius came back, Philemon could have branded him, could have broke his legs, could have put him in prison, For whatever he did that caused him to run away. It would have been completely justified under Roman law. So Paul knew there was a risk to what he was asking him to do. There was a risk. Because we don't know what happened. Like we have no written record of what happened when Amnesius went back. What came from it? There are some little insights that we get, like in places, Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul references an Amnesius who is there. And is it the same guy? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Okay, speculation. The other speculation of what happened that, that may have come from this is uh, in a letter that was written in 110 AD by uh, Ignatius of Antioch, who was an early church father. And as he's passing through Ephesus, he makes mention of uh, Onesius, who is the bishop of Ephesus. So there is a guy by the same name who had risen to prominence in Ephesus and become the bishop. Now, was it the same guy that we're talking about here in Philemon? We really don't know, but it's interesting to think. It's interesting to think that did they go back, did they reconcile, did something happen, and then all of a sudden, Amnesius rises to prominence in the early church history and becomes a bishop of the city of Ephesus. Potentially, it, it's plausible given the dating, but we really, we really don't, really don't know. And imagine Paul as he's writing this because he says, hey, I know you're gonna do this. And then what does he say? And even more than this. What is Paul referring to there? Does Paul suspect that the logical conclusion for Philemon to come to as he forgives him is to set him free? Maybe. Maybe. But this was something not to be taken lightly. Paul knew exactly what he was, by them coming together, what could have happened. Number two, Paul helps Philemon to see that this is an issue of identity, not simply about righting a wrong. How we see the other is vital in the next steps to forgiveness. I think this is primary in the letter. This is what you get. Paul uses language when he's talking about Amnesius that he's saying, um, he's, I've been like a father to him. He's like my son. He's, uh, um, he's my very heart. Uh, he's useful to me in ministry. What is Paul doing? Paul is elevating the value of the human Amnesius. He's, he's saying his identity is something more than a slave and one of the first steps we can take and one of the reasons why we carry and hold on to the burdens of unforgiveness is we lack to see the value in the other human we see them as less than human and so we harbor that pain they caused us that hurt and that trauma they've now become less than human and the value and ethic of Christianity is that every human is made in the image of God and they have intrinsic value to him and so part of the challenge is that when we begin to devalue other humans we are in opposition to the ethic and values of God and so what does Paul do he brings up he makes them equal says I, he, he's useful I can't do this without it. he is valuable And so he helps Philemon see that this is another human being that you're talking about, that you're dealing with, not simply someone who wronged you in some way. Lastly, I would say by asking Philemon to forgive, he's asking him to embrace a new kind of life that is kingdom-based. Forgiveness is the behavior of those in God's new community. It is a central tenet of our faith is in forgiveness. And here's the thing, like we follow in the footsteps of the very core action of Jesus and his death and forgiveness for us and his death and resurrection. Paul goes on to say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which means Christ forgave us with no guarantee that we would reconcile with him. Think about that. You are still forgiven despite the fact that you may never have come to reconciliation with him. We hold on to unforgiveness because we expect something from the other. And the and the and the, the central teaching of Christianity is that we forgive because is what Christ first forgave us. We lean into forgiveness. That is the way the community of God operates. And any time we are harboring unforgiveness and trying to be a part of the community of God, we are actually in opposition of it. I told you it was gonna be a light teaching today, so. We're actually in opposition to God's kingdom when we harbor unforgiveness because it's a slap in the face to the very thing Christ did for us. He said, I forgave you. And there was no guarantee that you were going to come to me. But it's the thing I did for you, and I expect you to do it for others. It is the behavior of those in God's new community. What we see from a letter like this is that forgiveness is messy and necessary. It's messy. Okay? It's messy. But it's necessary. It's necessary. Forgiveness is primary. For Paul, his vision was was unity. Was unity with God's people through common worship of Christ the Messiah. Was unity. And there had to be forgiveness. Because humans hurt people hurt people. We're human. Relationships are messy. Involving yourself in people's lives opens you up, makes you vulnerable to hurt and pain. And Paul, he's saying unity is what we need. We need to learn to forgive. So Philemon, I'm going to send him back to you, and you need to forgive him. You need to forgive him. What does living in unforgiveness look like? Talked a little bit about the burdens. It becomes a burden. It becomes a weight in our lives. Why would this be a necessary posture of those in God's kingdom? Why? Why, Why is this important? Okay. We talked a little bit about some of it, but I think it goes beyond just spiritual, like relational dynamics, us and God and those sorts of things. It actually, it's physical too. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. Just the opposite of that, harboring, carrying the weight, and the burden of unforgiveness causes stress, anxiety, a lack of sleep, high blood pressure, cholesterol. Like, do you see... This is is real. This this isn't simply a spiritual act. It's actually vital to your well being as a whole. And I think Jesus cares about all of us, not just your spiritual posture towards Him. I think He cares about your health. I think He cares about your physical. Like, He cares about all of you. And Jesus is going, You gotta learn to forgive because it's gonna kill you. Like, literally, not just spiritually. Right these it's hard to carry these weights. Do you agree like I, I it's why would we want to? We have to learn to forgive. Did you know 62% of American adults say they need more forgiveness in their personal lives? People are longing for forgiveness. They're longing to find a place where they can forgive where they can be forgiven. This is desperately needed in our world so I want to leave you this morning with some ways that we can learn to forgive let's get practical here this morning something that we can walk away with this is not all inclusive because again I can't say everything right because I don't know all the situations out there but let me give you a few uh, things that you can walk out of to wrestle with this morning number one how to forgive we reflect and remember remember Okay? We need to spend time thinking about why we are holding on to unforgiveness. Why? For some of you, it's been stuff that happened when you were a kid, and you're still holding on to it. Some of you, it's fresh, it's new, it's recent. But you need to spend some time understanding why I'm not able to move on from this. Reflect, remember, spend some time contemplating What's going on inside your heart? I would ask that you empathize with the other. Now, again, this, this, this may not be applicable to some of you, but, but for others, like, you just need to see from their perspective. You're so focused on what you think that you've stopped to think how it affects the other, and you need to learn to empathize the other to be, to be ready to forgive we need to let go of expectations. This is a big one. Sometimes we don't forgive because we're scared that we're going to be rejected. Our expectation is that it's not going to go anywhere. Or they're not going to care. This isn't going to matter. Whatever. We have an expectation in our mind and, that, and we got to let that go. Because again, forgiveness is about your heart primarily. what are you dealing with you have to decide to forgive it's a decision that you make and for some of you it's a decision you need to make every day until it becomes a reality because it's not as simple as just going okay I forgive like I'm not trying to paint a picture that this is easy and so some of you need to decide every single morning I will choose to forgive I don't feel it right now God help me with that but I will choose to live in forgiveness every single day. Lastly, maybe most importantly, you need to learn to forgive yourself. Many of the un- much of the unforgiveness that we hold on to is stuff that we've done and we can't let go of. We say things like, yeah, God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. I've done too much. I've caused too much hurt too much pain. Like I can't, I can't get over the guilt and the shame that I feel. And we gotta begin the journey of forgiving ourselves. And I would argue that before we can ever find reconciliation in forgiving others, if we can't learn to forgive ourselves, it's gonna be a hard journey for us to learn to forgive others. What does it look like to forgive yourself? Give yourself. Jesus stands at your heart and says, We're good. It's okay. I don't like what happened. Okay, fine. But you know I love you and I forgive you. Are you ready to move forward? Jesus stands at your heart, knocking. I'm good. We're good. Give yourself a break. Okay? We're human. We mess things up. Okay. Forgive yourself. As we wrap up, there's some things to wrestle with. And some things I want you to take home and and to consider and to think about. Um, A couple things, questions I'm going to ask. are you living with unforgiveness? Undoubtedly, throughout this teaching, you've been wrestling with whatever's in your heart and in your mind, like there's something there, maybe. Recognize it, acknowledge, it. are you living with unforgiveness? Is this a burden that you've been carrying on your back every single day? And you've been, you wake up with the weight and the heaviness Jesus' offering, he said, "My, my burden's light. My yoke is easy. Why are you carrying that? Follow my way. Embrace forgiveness and watch the load become lighter. What's your next step in forgiving? What conversations need to happen with the other in order to forgive? Now again, this may not be applicable to all of you. Okay? I understand that. There's some of you I would not encourage to go and get in conversation because of whatever happened. Right? I understand that. But for some of you, there is a conversation that needs to happen. We need to have some boldness and, and go and have a conversation to bring reconciliation. Right? You've been hurt by somebody in the church. You need to figure that out. You need to go and talk to them. What's that conversation need to look like? If you need some help with that, come talk to me. If you need help processing what that looks like, come talk to me. I'm here. Lastly, what do you need to forgive yourself for? Mm. What do you need to forgive yourself for? we've been holding on to? What's that weight been like? What's that weight been like? And how's that going to lead you into forgiving others? It's like I said, until you can get that worked out, you're going to have a hard time putting it into practice in other people's lives. So we've got to lean into that. We've got to spend some time there. What I want to do before we take communion... So I want to give us a moment to contemplate as we leave that up on the screen to sit in this moment and let God's Spirit speak to us because we want it to take root, right? We want it to take root. So will you take a moment and just spend some time in prayer? Wherever part of this that you're, you're at, and maybe the pain is so deep and so real that you just need to sit in the fact that God loves you and he's forgiven you. That's okay too. We need to process that. Would you sit for a moment and let's pray.